Hey, this is Jeremy Isaacs, lead pastor of Generations Church, where we want to live like it matters. For more information about our church, you can visit us at g.church. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. Thanks again for listening. Well, today we kick off our December series that we, we, we're not super creative in this way. We just call it the same thing every year. It's just Christmas at Generations. And, and for us, what this looks like is just us celebrating all month long the reason for the season of Christmas. I don't know what Christmas looks like for you. It's, it's probably at some point includes gifts and maybe Santa and maybe food and family. Maybe it includes some dysfunction, perhaps. Maybe Christmas rises up, you know, there's some dysfunction in your family or in relationships, perhaps. But whatever Christmas looks like for you, I think it's important just to remind us of what you already know, that the reason for the season of Christmas is the baby Jesus. And, and while this is not the Luke 2 passage that we will read later in this month, where it's, it's the idea that Mary and Joseph went, there was no room in the inn, and he was born in a manger and wrapped in swaddling clothes, and that's a powerful telling of the story. But I want to remind us of the John 1 telling of Christmas. It's a little different. It says this in John chapter 1. It says that the Word, capital W meaning name, the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The Word is with God. The Word was with God. The Word was God. This is talking about Jesus Christ. He was there at the beginning, and then the Word became flesh. And the message paraphrase I love says he put on skin and moved into our neighborhood. I love that idea, that picture, that image of Christmas. And before we get to Luke chapter 2, there's also this part in Luke chapter 1 that's a beautiful part of the Christmas story where the angel appears to the Virgin Mary. And there's this really beautiful conversation, this beautiful interaction. And this is what the angel says to Mary in Luke chapter 1, verses 30 through 33. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Of his kingdom there will be no end. Now, I don't want us to miss, because of the familiarity, what we're talking about here. If you're a lady in the room... I want you to imagine yourself at 12, 13, 14, 15 years old and an angel appearing to you and saying, hey, yes, you are a virgin, but you will conceive supernaturally. And that child which you will conceive will be called the son of the most high, called Jesus. And he's going to sit on his throne and it's the throne of his father or his ancestor, David, which was 14 generations before. And of the kingdom that he will rule and reign, there is no end. It's going to last forever. Now, it's easy for us because we've seen the plays and we've watched the movies and we've read the text and we've been in Christmas services to make sense of all that. But imagine being this teenage girl and hearing that for the first time and it being so overwhelming. Like, what? What? But I don't want us to miss the reality that now when we find out we're pregnant, we're going to have a baby, we, we, we get to pick a name. We, we, we call the baby by a name that we like, a name that we heard, a family name, a name we saw on Pinterest. I don't know, wherever you picked the name, it was a good name. But Mary was given the name. And his name will be called Jesus. I was sitting in a room yesterday at an event, Corey and I were, and they started singing this old song that we sang when I was a little kid in the church. And it just says, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus something about that name. 
Some of you freaked out when Pastor Connor walked back out. You thought, is he already done? That was quick. <laughs> Quickest sermon I ever preached in my whole life. No, I got another hour or two. We're good. We're fine. But I want us to sing this little chorus together. If you don't know the words, they'll be on the screen. If you do know the words, I want you to sing really loud to help all of us in the room. Sing it together. Jesus, 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 there's just something about that name. Master, Savior, Jesus, Master, Savior. Something that shifted in the room. 
And I know that there are things that you will walk through and things that you're facing. And I'm telling you, you just need that kind of shifting of the room, the shifting of the atmosphere. God, I don't really know what to pray and I'm not really sure what to do and I don't know how this is going to work out, but I'm just going to call on the name of Jesus. I'm just going to sing that kind of little chorus and believe that he's enough. There's so much truth and power in the name of Jesus as it relates to the Christmas story. Last December, we spent a lot of time talking about the prophecies of Jesus, the prophecies of the Old Testament that would tell us who Jesus would be and who Jesus was once he arrived, because the name Jesus by itself was actually a relatively common name in that day. It was a a Greek word that if the transliteration into the Hebrew word was Joshua. And so it was a common name uh, that, that people would go by, but but the, the separation of who the Jesus that we're talking about and we're celebrating is that he was the fulfillment of the prophecies of the Old Testament. He couldn't determine where he would be born. He couldn't determine who he would be born to. He couldn't determine the events of his life until he got much older. But he was the fulfillment of these prophecies. He came as the fulfillment of the law and the Old Testament. And so that's what separates him. But also it's that those add-ons to his word. He's Jesus, the son of God. Jesus, the son of man. Jesus, the Messiah, the anointed one. And so there's something different about this Jesus that we're talking about and celebrating today at the beginning of this Christmas story. But I don't want to go to the prophecies. Again, you can go back on our podcast and listen to the series we did last December. I want to go even further back than the Old Testament prophecies. So if you've got a Bible, flip with me to the book of Genesis. We're just going to be a couple minutes here. The book of Genesis, chapter 1. And you're going to read some things here that perhaps you thought, I, don't even, I didn't even realize that was connected to the Christmas story. Genesis chapter 1, beginning in verse 26 and 27, says this. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them, man and woman, have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Praise God for that. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Skipping to Genesis 2, verse 7, it says... Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. God breathed into Adam. That that really is the difference between all that God had created. All of these other living beings, God formed them supernaturally. He just called them into being. But as he formed humanity, he formed Adam from the dust of the ground. And then he did that great differentiator. He breathed himself into man. And so there's something different about the the creation of humanity, of man and woman. That not only did he say, let's create them in our likeness, but let's, let's also put us into them. Let's put God, son and spirit into man and woman because there's something different. And then let's give them dominion over the things that they would be about the earth and the things that they would encounter. So there's dominion or authority over the earth. And then the remainder of chapter two and then into chapter three is this flirtation with disobedience and then the actual act of disobedience or sin and then the fallout from that sinful behavior. I want us to look at this in Genesis chapter three, verse six. It says this, the woman was convinced She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious and she wanted the wisdom that it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. And then she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it too. Those first four words that we read there in in verse six are really important because it says the woman was convinced. Here's what I believe. And I want you to know that whenever I stand behind this 
pulpit, whenever I open God's word and we go to God's word together, I do not believe that it is my job to convince you of something. And the reason that I don't believe that is because even if I am really persuasive to do so and you are convinced of it, the enemy who is cunning, he will come along and unconvince you of something I've convinced you of. Because it's not my job to try to convince you to be a better version of the bad person you used to be. It's my job to point us to the truth of God's word. To say that you don't have to just become better than you were. You can be transformed by the power of Jesus Christ. And so it's not my job to convince you. Because what happened then is the woman was interacting with this cunning serpent, this deceiver. And she was convinced that as he asked her questions, did God really say Is that actually what he meant when he said it? And that's what he does. I think most oftentimes the enemy doesn't actually just come right at you and punch you in the face with a lie. He just causes you to question the truth of who God is. And so it's like, hey, the woman was convinced because the serpent was cunning and deceived her. And then there was this act of sin. Now, let me just remind us that the sin was not eating the fruit, right? Sometimes I don't like to eat fruit. I mean, Mexican, I mean, I maybe it's tomato with fruit, salsa. Okay, then maybe I do. I love fruit, I guess. I don't know. But like, I'm not a big fruit guy. But the sin was not the fruit. The sin was the disobedience because God said, don't do it. So it's not, sometimes we categorize sin as behavior. Sin is not behavior. Sin is disobedience. Sin is, is something else. And so now what we see is this first step in how humanity chooses to do something different than God had designed them for. So it says, hey, the woman was convinced and she saw that it was beautiful and so she wanted the wisdom that it would give her. So she took some of the fruit, she ate it, disobedience. Now she convinced someone else to eat it. Again, disobedience, peer pressure. Hello, it's right here in Genesis. And he ate it too. Sin, it takes place. It's a part of the world that we live in from the very beginning of the foundations of the earth. But then there's something else that happens, and it happened in Genesis, but it also happens in your life and in mine. Look at this in verse 7. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they, were, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. So when God comes looking for them to have another walk in the cool of the day, he can't find them. Why can't he find them? Because they're in hiding. That's what we do with sin. Then we go into hiding because we feel shame. Like what happens when we commit some act of sin, when there is disobedience, we recognize I shouldn't have done that. I'm better than that. I was called to more. God commands me of something else. And so once we are exposed to the truth, we recognize our shortcomings for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God we read in the New Testament. And so it's like now I feel shame and I go into hiding. And that's what happens. We, we feel that kind of shame. Well, praise God for Romans 8, verse one, 8, chapter 8, verse 1, that says that when we are in Christ, in Christ, there is now no guilt, shame, or condemnation. And so you don't have to feel that kind of shame. But the enemy puts that heaviness of shame and guilt and condemnation on you because of the weight of the sin and disobedience. Because the enemy knows what we now know, that sin leads to shame. And then shame leads to what? Continue reading Genesis 3, verse 23. So the Lord God banished them from the Garden of Eden, and he sent Adam out to cultivate the ground from which he had been made. Sin leads to shame, and shame leads to separation. In my life, I'm sure in your life, if you're honest with yourself, we've seen it hundreds and hundreds of times over the years in the ministries of our churches. It's like once someone has leaned in 
and then there's something that kind of they feel ashamed of. There's a part of their past that creeps into their present. There's something that they did, something they were afraid of, something they were ashamed of, something they feel guilty. What do we do? We back up. We go and hide. Our shame causes us to separate. It causes us to pull away from relationships. It causes us to feel like nobody can understand. Nobody knows what I'm walking through. Nobody can identify with the things that I have done. And so I've got to go and hide those things. We try to put on a a fancy face. We try to make people think we've got it all together. But the reality is behind that, that mask that we put on is shame and guilt and condemnation. And we're afraid at the root of who we are that we won't be accepted anymore. And so we pull away from relationships. Sin leads to shame, and shame leads to separation. What we actually should do is lean into those relationships. We should say, like, hey, I don't know if y'all thought I was perfect, but I'm not. And, like, I don't know if you thought you had me fooled, but you ain't perfect either, right? You don't have to be mean about it. It's like, no, we're just all in this life trying to do life together being honest and vulnerable and transparent with one another enough to know, like, hey, we're all trying to figure it out as we chase and pursue Jesus Christ. His grace and mercy is enough for all of us. And so like, hey, yes, there's sin in my past. Yes, there has been some shame that I feel, but I'm not going to let that create separation in relationships with us. I'm going to lean into you. But this kind of separation isn't just relational. It's not just like, hey, We don't hang out anymore. We're not friends anymore. Look at this in Isaiah chapter 59, verse 1 in the beginning of verse 2. It says, listen, the Lord's arm is not too weak to save you, nor is his ear too deaf to hear you call. It's your sins that have separated you from God. I love that verse 1 is is where this starts. Because like you and I need to be reminded that God is strong enough to save anything you've done. He's not so distant that he can't hear when you call out, when you cry out in fear and insecurity and shame. When you call out, like when God was calling for Adam and Eve, hey, where are you guys at? As soon as they responded, he heard them and he responded back. Like he's close. He's there. He hears you. He can save you. He can forgive you. He can heal. Like he is enough. But verse two says, but it's our sin that separates us from God. So this is not just me pulling back from relationship. This is me recognizing that sin is a separation from God. And so let me let me just kind of play this illustration out. Let's act like those two trees. I don't know how wide the shot is. Let's act like those two trees, right? The three trees. Okay, I can't count those three trees. That's God, right? Those three trees over there. That's the devil. That's the enemy, right? Our job is to recognize that because of Adam. Because of the atom of creation in Genesis, like that we are a sinful person. And because of that, there is a separation between us and God. And so now we're trying to determine how do we live. And at some point in our lives, my prayer is if you haven't already done that, you will do this today. At some point in our lives, we recognize that there's a gap. There's a separation between us and God because of our sinful flesh, our sinful nature. And James says that it's our sinful desires that that draw us away, lead us towards, entice us to temptation and sin. So there's this gap that exists. But God knew about sin. And he knew when you sinned, you would feel shame. And he recognized that that shame and sin would create this separation. So he changed the equation and he sent a savior. He sent a savior. 
And so now my job is to confess with my mouth and believe in my heart that Jesus Christ, the Savior, is Lord and he's Lord of my heart and Lord of my life and to turn my life to him and to just move in his direction constantly. He's already moved in mine. God sent his one and only son, Jesus, while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. That's how he demonstrated his love. So sin, shame, separation, God sent a Savior. Now I can be reconciled to God. And so my job is to turn my attention, turn my heart towards God and to move in his direction with the confession of my sinful nature. And so again, it's not about a little white lie. It is, but it's not. It's not about taking something that's not yours. It is, but it's not. It's not about saying something you shouldn't have said. It is, but it's not. It's about a separation because of sin. God is holy. He is righteous. I am not apart from him. And so he sent his savior. And now as I confess with my mouth and believe that Jesus Christ is Lord, I don't span that gap. He spanned that gap. He came to me. And so now my arrow is pointed in his direction. So let's just say I'm on this journey. I've turned away from my evil desires. I've turned away from my sinful nature. I'm doing the things that I'm reading. My Bible, not because it saves me, but because I want to know him. I'm spending time in prayer, not because it earns me extra credits in heaven, but because I want to hear from him and I want him to hear from me. I'm coming to church and I'm giving and I'm serving, not because that makes me be able to boast in my righteousness, but because in response to his love, I want to spend time with him and his people. And so it's like I'm I'm pointing in the direction of Jesus Christ. If on this journey, I tell a lie, does that put me way back over there? No, because I have confessed that I'm a sinner in need of a savior. So because of that, I have been saved. The work of the cross is enough. But the sin, the transgression of dishonesty is not required of confession for salvation. It's a confession immediately for sanctification. God, cleanse me of all unrighteousness. I just did something that doesn't reflect your character and your nature. And that's what I said I wanted to be about. That's who I said I, I wanted to reflect your son, Jesus. I wanted to be in pursuit of you, and I want people to see your work in me. And so, God, I did something that doesn't reflect you, so I immediately confess it. I confess it not just to God. I confess it one to another so that I can be healed. I can say, hey, we're in relationship together, Christian community. Will you hold me accountable to the things that I say I'm about? Let me just pause for a second because I'm going to go tell the other side in a second. But a problem in the church, I'm preaching way better than you guys are responding (laughs) I about sweated through everything I'm wearing up here, okay? A problem in the church with us church folks, and I'm, a part, I'm, I'm us, okay, is that we hold accountable those who have never aligned themselves with God's word, but we refuse to hold accountable those of us that are in community together. So it's like we, we don't look at one another and go like, I love you. And because I love you, and Ben ain't done nothing. I'm just pointing at Ben. He's close. Because I love you. I want you to, you're better than that. Like, I want you to hold me accountable and call me. I want you to say like, hey, there's something you're doing that doesn't reflect the character that you say you're in pursuit of. But what we do is we are violently attacking of people who have never said, my life is in pursuit of that over there. I'm over here. I'm in pursuit of this. I'm doing my own thing. And these are the people that we're trying to hold accountable. And they have never said that their life is lived according to this standard. And so what we do is we shine the light of God's word. We speak the truth in love. We love people into the kingdom. We share about his grace and his mercy. 
so that through the kindness of the Holy Spirit, they are drawn to repentance. And we haven't tried to convince them to be a better version of the bad person they used to be. We are pointing them to the truth so that God's word can transform them into a new creation. So I'm going to go back over here now, okay? So this is a confession for sanctification. My confession over here, if I'm in pursuit of these things, is a confession for salvation. There is a gap that exists between me and God. I've pointed my arrow away from him. I am in pursuit of the things that don't reflect him. It's not his character. It's not his nature. And so the moment that I recognize my condition, I confess for the sake of salvation. And he's right here. He's right here. He said, while you were yet a sinner, while you were all the way over here, I sent my son Jesus Christ to come and to die on the cross for you. And Isaiah 59 says that the the strong arm of the Lord is strong enough to reach wherever you feel like you are and to pull you back. His ear hears your cry no matter how far you think you are. Because we put him on a line and we think he's way over there and we think we're way over here. But the moment you say, Jesus, he's right here. He's right here. The word became flesh. And he made his dwelling among us. Jesus ate with sinners. He spent his time on the earth with people who were way over here. Not so that he was accepting of what they were doing, but so that he could show them a better way. So that he could show them that he came to fulfill the law. And as a fulfillment of the prophecies. Say, I want you to be all that God has created you to be. Come and spend eternity with me. There's a confession for salvation. And then there's these ongoing confessions of sanctification. Which way is your arrow pointed? Where is the trajectory of your life? Because there is sin, there is shame, there is separation, but there is a Savior. There's a Savior for you today. And wherever you find yourself on this continuum, I want you to know that because of the sin of Adam, the human flesh, the human nature... We are all guilty. But God knew that, and this is what it says in Romans chapter 5, verse 15. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many, but even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. Paul said it this way to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 15. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Romans 5 says this in verse 11. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Because of the sins of Adam, there is separation from God. Because of the death of Jesus Christ, there is reconciliation back to God. He knew that. Sin, shame, separation, and a Savior. And so in this Christmas season... Salvation isn't just about forgiving your little white lie at work. It is. But salvation is about reconciling us to God. Christmas isn't just about a little baby in a manger. Christmas is about God's grace refusing to allow you and I to be apart from him. And so he sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, born as a baby in a manger, who grew up into a man blameless and spotless to be the once for all time sacrifice for sin. That is the story of Christmas. Sin, shame, separation, and a savior.
In just a second, we're going to take communion together. A way to start this month of Christmas. To be reminded of the sacrifice of Jesus. But before we do, I just want you to bow your head. Right where you're at. Nobody's looking around. Just a moment of reflection between you and the Lord. And if you would say, Jeremy, for me, like I know, I know that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I'm the one you described from Romans, that I've fallen short of the glory of God and I need him to forgive my sins and to be the Lord of my life. If that's you, would you just confess that today by lifting your hand? Thank you so much. Anybody else? Anybody else? You're not alone. So many of us today. And now if you would say to me, Jeremy, for me, it's not salvation. I I believe that I've been saved. But I feel shame. I I feel an overwhelming sense of shame for the things that I've done, the person that I was. And I just want God to relieve that weight and that pressure of shame as he sets me free. If that's you, would you lift your hand right where you're at? Thank you so much. Thank you so much. So many of us today. Let's pray together. God, we thank you. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. And we thank you for the cross. We thank you for the manger. We thank you, God, for the story of Christmas. And in this season of gifts, family and food and togetherness, I pray that, Lord, we don't lose sight the Savior that you sent to us because you knew about sin and shame and separation that existed. God, we we can't earn our way to you, and so you came to us. So God, I pray now for every hand that was lifted to acknowledge their need for you to be the Lord and Savior of their life. And if that's you right now, just confess that with your mouth. Just say, God, I, I need you to forgive my sins. Be my Lord. As you do that, we believe that he will, but I want you to confess that yourself. God, I thank you for these confessions need for you. We celebrate now with heaven for those decisions that have been made. God, now I pray for those who feel such shame and guilt. That is not what you desire for them to feel. You want them to feel freedom. So God, right now I pray that you would help them to be unburdened by shame. Help them to walk in the perfect love that casts off fear and insecurity and doubt. And let them rest in the identity that you give to them. God, I thank you for the work of Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Thanks again for listening. If today's message was an encouragement to you, we invite you to share it with your friends and family. Maybe subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. It just helps us spread the word about what God's doing here at Generations Church. For more information about the church, visit us at g.church. Have a great day, and God bless.